Greetings from the Plastic City. I am Jamie Chi. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast where we are going to put our two normal podcasts that we do each week into one. So today we will focus on Georgia's big game against Kentucky this weekend. I say big game kind of sarcastically, but we'll talk about it a little bit. We're going to go four downs with dogs. We're going to analyze the SEC at the halfway point. We've also got big issues in the Big Ten, we've got this week's viewing guide, and we've got a lesson for everybody when it comes to picking games against the spread. All of that in today's episode. I'm so glad that you're listening. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get it going. Let's get ready to rumble! Start by going four downs with Georgia. We're going to kind of take this piece by piece, then we're going to talk a little bit about the Kentucky game and our extra point. So we'll start with the quarterback position. It's all anybody wants to talk about after the game at Alabama. I've already expressed my frustration with the fan base. I expressed my frustration just with the simple concept. But I want to kind of frame it maybe a little bit differently this week and to try to put maybe an exclamation point, a period on this entire concept for the rest of this year. Because here's where we are. I feel like you either have one of two things happening. If, and this is an if, okay, because I have not heard anything other than the fact that Stetson Bennett will be the starting quarterback when Georgia takes the field in Lexington on Saturday. So if that is the case, that I think means that Stetson Bennett will be the quarterback a week later when Georgia takes on Florida and Jacksonville if Florida is able to play with all the COVID cases they have going on right now. So if... Bennett takes the field the next two weeks, and he is the quarterback through the Florida game. At that point, I think you have two choices. That either for the rest of this season, for better or worse, Stetson Bennett is the best option at quarterback from the University of Georgia, or there's a much bigger problem for the University of Georgia football team. I don't think there's any middle ground on that. Because, uh, you know, here's the one caveat that I'll put on all of this. As much as I am frustrated with all of the people drawing the conclusion that the third-string quarterback is the answer to all of Georgia's problems, which even when you say it out loud like that just reveals how ignorant it actually is to think that JT Daniels, who has never taken a snap in a game for the University of Georgia, is the way to beat Alabama. That's what people are saying. That is so incredibly dumb, but I spent a lot of time on that. Now, Bennett, or sorry, Daniels obviously was not 100% healthy in the lead up to the season. You know, everything that happened with Jamie Newman leaving just a few weeks before the season started. Um, if Daniels was not healthy, and if he gets healthy, and it, at the point that he is both fully healthy and mobile, now he is cleared. Now, whether or not that means that he is fully good to go 100% or if he is just cleared to practice. Um, I don't know. We haven't heard. I will say that I listen to the UGA Sports Live podcast with Jim Donnan every single week. And yesterday uh, when that podcast came out, I thought it was very, very interesting. They were asking him about the quarterback situation. And I'm not quoting here. I'm just kind of generalizing. He got really frustrated. He said, I'm tired of talking about it. Stetson Bennett's the guy. And, and then he kind of caught himself, but he said it before he could catch himself. He said, everything that I've been get, been told is he's not, speaking of Daniels, he's not doing the things that he needs to do in practice in order to show that he belongs on the field. Now, I don't know who he's talking to. He didn't say anything else about who he was talking to. In fact, he walked the comment back a little bit, but he was frustrated and he kind of said it in a moment, which tells me that the reality is that everybody that thinks JT Daniels is God's gift to quarterbacks is just wrong. He's not as mobile as Stetson and Bennett. That's obvious with the, the fact that he's had the knee problems. And while he may have an NFL arm, it sounds like he's turnover prone. So you go and listen to the podcast yourself. It happened about 15 minutes in. So you don't have to listen to the whole hour-long podcast to be able to get to that point. But to me, it's Stetson or Georgia's got a big problem. Because if it's not Stetson, if Stetson Bennett is not the guy for the rest of this year, good or bad, and then Kirby keeps putting him out there, then there's a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is that Kirby is not the right coach for the University of Georgia. And there cannot be any in-between. 
okay? Because either Kirby's putting the best guy on the field week after week, or Kirby is knowingly not putting the best guy on the field, which is one level of problem, or the third option that's even worse than the second option, Kirby's too stupid to know who the best option is. So which of those three are we going to take, Georgia fans? Which of those three are we going to accept as the truth? That Kirby's not the right coach because he knowingly puts the wrong person on the field, or he's not the right coach because he's too stupid to know who the best quarterback is. Because the way I'm seeing this, just looking at it from just a logical standpoint, and I understand fan is short for fanatic, so maybe we shouldn't spend too much time on logic, but if you just really think about what we're talking about, if the coach who makes $7 million a year is willing to put Bennett on the field, he has to be the best option. No matter what you saw in a huddle highlight from a few years ago, no matter what you saw one time when you watched five seconds of him play at USC two seasons ago, no matter what you think DeJuan Mathis might be if he got another shot, the reality is there's somebody that gets paid a lot of money to make that decision, and he's made the decision, and he's going to continue to make the same decision. And if you're not comfortable with that decision, it probably means you don't think Kirby should be the quarterback. Now, a lot of people will hear that and go, well, I think Daniels is the guy, but I think, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Kirby's the coach, the best coach. Well, it does, and I've just explained why it does. There's, there's no in-between ground here, guys. Either you trust Kirby, which means you have to trust Kirby's decision. It's Kirby's decision to continue going with Bennett, or you don't trust Kirby, which means he doesn't need to be the coach. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room here. So as we get ready to go into the Kentucky game and eventually the, the Florida game and the second half of the season, I think we all just need to take a breath and realize one simple truth is that Georgia does not have the kind of quarterback we want to have, period. Now, you can blame it on a lot of things. You can blame it on the fact that Justin Fields shouldn't have transferred. Oh, but for me, for me, I hope we can put this to bed now. I hope we can just put this entire situation to to pasture and just recognize that we want a better quarterback. We don't have one. We don't have a quarterback at the University of Georgia that's on the level of the guys at the best teams in the country. Now, does that mean that Georgia cannot play with the best teams in the country? Maybe. It, it really might. And on a different level, I think if you want to be frustrated at the fact that it just seems like in 2018 and 2019 and in 2020, we've been missing the quarterback that everybody else seems to have, that's a perfectly valid frustration to have. That's a perfectly valid feeling to have. Now, I will counter that by saying when you're talking about Clemson and Trevor Lawrence and when you're talking about Ohio State and Justin Fields and even Mac Jones to a certain extent, when you pick the maybe three best quarterbacks in the country and want to get pissed off that you don't have one of those guys, it's not like everybody else has one of those guys. It just means that Georgia's moved to a point now that even the slightest flaw, the slightest gap, shows up big time. And I think that's what we saw is I, I do think there's a difference between a Mac Jones and a Stetson Bennett. But more than anything, Georgia just hasn't gotten it all right at the right time. Last year's offensive line was really, really good. They didn't do a great job run blocking, but I think part of that was the scheme that Coley was running. And I think part of that was some of the things that uh, Sam Pittman was kind of focusing on. And, uh, focusing on kind of pass rush rather than run blocking. But last year's offensive line with this year's team probably means that we're a little bit better. Last year, we had a great line. We had a great running back in Swift. We had zero experience at wide receiver, and that cost us big time. This year, our receivers maybe a little bit better. We'll talk about that in a moment. But receivers, okay. Offensive line's not great. I think we got a lot of good running backs. It's just not elite. And when you talk about the fact that Alabama can lose a guy like Jalen Waddell and still be fine and still have most people going, yeah, I know they lost perhaps the best wide receiver in the entire country, but yeah, I think they'll still be fine. The offensive talent level, I don't care how many stars people have, the offensive talent level is just not quite there. It's good. It's better than it used to be. You know, I mean, you have to take into account that Jamie Newman was supposed to be the quarterback of this team. 
and he opted out. Don Blaylock was supposed to be the number two receiver on this team, and he got hurt again. So it's not like Kirby hasn't brought in guys. You know, if you count Eason, who Kirby got to come here even though he had committed to Rick originally, Fromm, Fields, Newman, uh, the fact that Vandergrift now is committed and seemingly all but a lock to come to Georgia, the fact that he got JT Daniels, who was a five-star to come here, he's brought in a lot of quarterback talent. So either, and we'll go back to this thing, either he can't coach quarterbacks and we need to find somebody else because it's the most important position in football, or it just hasn't worked out yet. And even though I said you could talk about the Fields thing forever and it's all on podcast, let, let me just say this. I don't think, whatever you think about what happened with Justin Fields at Georgia, I don't think Justin Fields grows up, and I don't think Justin Fields is as good of a quarterback today if he didn't go through what he went through with Georgia. I think there were some huge immaturity problems. I've talked about it on the podcast. You can look the video up by Roddy Nabolsi from a couple years ago where walking off the field in his second game as a collegiate quarterback, Justin Fields expressed frustration that they didn't let me do anything. They're not going to let me do anything. This was two games into that season. So no matter what you think about why he left, when he left, what he said when he left, all of the other pieces of it is that there was some immaturity there. He was the best player in the country, according to ESPN. I, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is better. I think we've seen that from day one. But ESPN had him ranked number one coming in. And he, he was the number one player in the country, and he thought he was going to walk into a team that just barely – Missed out on beating or winning the national championship in 2017, 2018. He thought he was going to walk in, be the missing piece, be the guy from day one. And when that didn't happen, he did not respond well. He went to Ohio State where they ran off Tate Martell, and they gave him the program, which is what he wanted at Georgia. Now, there's an argument to be made when you see how talented he is that maybe that's what Kirby should have done. But I can't tell you that coming off of the national championship run at the beginning of 2018, if I would have heard uh, Justin Fields is starting the first game of the season, I can't say I would have been in support of that. And I don't know a lot of Georgia fans. I I understand in hindsight we all look at it and go, God, we should have given Fields a chance because if he was here, we'd probably be the best team in the country. And I believe that. If Fields was our quarterback right now, we'd be the best team in the country. But he's not. And if what it took to have him in 2020 was to turn the entire program on over to him at the beginning of 2018, I don't think a lot of people would have done that at the time. So you, you can't have it both ways. You can't look at it in hindsight and say, I wish it was something different, but then fail to realize that in the moment, there's no chance you would have made that decision. So yes, I think the whole Bulldog Nation would say, man, this team would be a lot better if we had Justin Fields. But there were reasons that that didn't happen, and there were reasons that he transferred, and it's not as simple as Kirby didn't give him a shot. Now, could Kirby have given him more of a shot? I think so. I think so. And Kirby's a person who makes mistakes. And I'm sure you don't make any mistakes at your job. I know I sure don't, mainly because my boss listens to this podcast. But I never make a mistake, ever, ever. But Kirby obviously is a human being, like most of you people, and he makes mistakes. And I think he's learned from that mistake. And I think what you saw in going away from Dewan Mathis so quickly was that he realized, hey, he's not ready, and I'm not going to wait on this. And he's right now playing the person he thinks is best. So once this game starts on Saturday, if the person that runs on the field as the quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs is Stetson Bennett, then I would Barring injury, I would expect he will be the quarterback for the rest of this year. And if you really want to get pissed off and you want to spin this forward, I don't see how he's not the quarterback going into next year. Because as much as everybody is going to be very excited about Brock Vandergriff, uh, I don't know that he can come in and win the job from day one. Doesn't mean he won't eventually be the guy. It might see kind of a Clemson 2017 situation where – you know, even by the middle of the year next year, uh, Vandergriff is the guy. I, I I don't know. We'll see. But a lot of that, I think, is going to have to do with whether or not we have spring practice. If there's not spring practice, Stetson Bennett's going to be the quarterback the rest of this year. He's going to be the quarterback for the majority, if not all, of next year. 
Because if, if Vandergrift doesn't have spring practice, he's got zero chance coming from high school going into a freshman season in the SEC of being the starting quarterback. So let's all take two breaths and just say we don't have to like the fact that we don't have a quarterback on par with the other teams that are at the top of college football. But it's not because the guy that is on par is sitting third string. It's that we don't have it. We just don't have it. Hopefully we'll have it soon. Hopefully it's Vandergriff. Hopefully, you know, it is. And and maybe we're set up the way Clemson's been for the last three years for the next three years. I think we all hope that. But that's in the future. And right now, Kirby Smart has paid a lot of money to put the best guy on the field. And I don't understand when we've had guys like Brenton Cox, who are very good, transfer because people are playing ahead of him. And then he goes to Florida and he plays really well. Well, it's not because he's not good. It's because somebody was better than him. So I don't think Kirby's philosophy is at every position on this team, I'm going to put the best player in. And yet, when it comes to the most important position in all of sports, we're going to put an inferior player in there on purpose. I just don't think that's what's happening. All right, let's move off the quarterback. Let's talk about some other things to do with this year's Georgia Bulldogs. On second down, I want to talk about George Pickens. Um, What's going on with George Pickens? I mean, he's supposed to be the guy, right? He's supposed to be one of the best receivers in the country. And I, many times on Saturdays, I forget he's playing. Um, He has 13 catches so far on this season. He's caught a couple touchdowns. He's had a couple very nice catches. Uh, The the touchdown catch against Auburn that he made when he was fully extended, laid it out, touchdown. Uh, he's made some some really good plays. But more and more, thinking about Jalen Waddell, thinking about the Alabama situation, man, their, their receivers make plays that our receivers don't. And I wonder if, is that because, you know, their scheme is so much better than ours? That may have something to do with it. Or is it that George Pickens isn't as good as we think he is? What I will say is the the biggest disappointment that I have right now when it comes to the wide receiver position and when it comes to George Pickens in particular is the obvious fact that he has not matured. You know, what happened in the second half of the Georgia Tech game last year, uh, throwing the Tech defender into the wall and getting into that fight, getting kicked out of the game and missing the first half of the SEC title game, um, what happened in that situation was frustrating. And then when he comes back in the Sugar Bowl and he has such a great game, and even post-game on the field celebrating the Sugar Bowl win, Kirby's talking about George and his maturity and growing up and turning a corner. He has not. The, the crap that he pulled against Tennessee shows very, very clearly that he has not grown up. He has not turned a corner. And I'm not sure there's been any uh, progression in his maturity. If anything, maybe there's been regression. Because what he did on the sideline against Tennessee when he sprayed Jarrett Garantano with that water bottle was juvenile. Way worse than losing your cool in a moment and getting in a fight on a football field. Way worse. So I, my concern with George Pickens is twofold. One is, you know, at the end of last year, I said, to me, this is the future Isaiah Crowell. I, I thought that there was at least a decent chance we never saw him again. Now, luckily, that didn't happen. Because I do think he has a lot of talent, but if his if the, the square foot in his brain can't catch up to the obvious talent that he has, it doesn't matter how talented he is. He's gotten some stupid penalties on holding. He's gotten, obviously, that 15-yarder uh, against Tennessee. He has got to grow up. He has got to do the basic stuff right, and then he's got to step up, and he's got to be a better receiver, period. You can blame quarterbacks. You can blame whoever. Jalen Waddell was a really great quarter or a wide receiver when Tua was throwing the ball. He's equally as great, if not better, with Mac Jones throwing in the ball. The same thing with guys at other schools. So if George Pickens is a one, he needs to start acting like it in the way he carries himself, and he needs to start playing like it every single Saturday because that's what a top-flight receiver does. On third down, I want to talk about the defense. So, as I said on last week's episode uh, during the bye week, to me, the big issue in the second half against uh, Alabama, as much as there were problems with the offense, the, the defense just consistently got torched in that game. 
So the defense needs to have a come-to-Jesus meeting over the last week and a half, and what we need to see against a team in Kentucky that's not necessarily bad and not necessarily good is we need to see this defense remember who they were, okay? You can look at it and say Alabama's got an elite offense. What they did to us is not going to be easily repeatable. You know, whether or not the defense can step up and stop Florida in a couple of weeks, I think is, is what most people are thinking about. But what we're hearing out of Lexington this week is that Joey Gatewood, the Auburn transfer, is going to be the starting quarterback, not uh, the quarterback that has been starting for Kentucky the last couple of weeks, Wilson. So if Wilson's not the starter, then you would have to think that Kentucky's going to be a little bit more pass-oriented. And when Georgia has struggled this year. It's been on some big passing plays. The big pass play that they've given up, that they gave up to Arkansas uh, in the first game of the season, that long touchdown pass, two longer touchdown passes, uh, given up to Tennessee. And then obviously it just seemed like Alabama threw all over us. So it's going to be a big test against Kentucky if Gatewood is the starting quarterback. I mean, the perception is that he's more of a thrower than a runner. I mean, I, I think he has mobility as well to be in that Gus Malzahn offense um but it, if, if they're bringing him in and replacing terry wilson it's got to be to be able to throw the ball wilson threw for only 50 yards uh against missouri last week so if they focus on throwing the ball can georgia stop it because if they can't we're going to have problems against kentucky we're going to have problems against uh florida obviously next week turning the page we're going to have problems against missouri who's throwing the ball pretty well there's there's some questions for this defense. There was so long, uh, or so much of this season, that the perception was that we have the best defense in the country, and I think that still could be accurate. But specifically, this pass defense has to show something against Kentucky, and they have to step up. Uh, they have to reestablish themselves as the strength of this team, and they have to show that what happened in Alabama is an aberration and not what we should expect moving forward. On fourth down, I want to talk about the running backs because coming into this season and, and for the first couple of games of the season, you know, Zamir White was the number one guy. James Cook was the change of pace guy. Let's see how we can get him involved in the offense. And for me, going into this game against Kentucky, um, no offense to Zamir White, but he's third string uh, if everybody's healthy. To me, Kenny McIntosh, and Kendall Milton are the top two running backs on this team. And I think, I think if McIntosh is healthy, we're going to start seeing that carries are going to be distributed that way. Zeus is still going to get a lot of carries. He's probably going to get 10 or 12 a game. But McIntosh and Milton are going to be the featured backs, and I think that's good. Now, Cook has his own special thing because I am perfectly fine not seeing Cook carry the ball up the middle anymore this year. Now, if you want to throw him in on some toss sweeps, if you want to use them to catch the ball, kind of a third down back out of the backfield, I'm good with all of that. If you want to use the mirror more in short yardage kind of situations, I'm good with that. But just for every down back kind of stuff, what I've seen out of McIntosh and Milton is that they are the supremely talented running backs on this team. And I think the carries need to start showing that. Let's talk a little bit of numbers. So Zamir has by far the most carries this so far this year. He's got 64 carries for 266 yards. That's an average of 4.2 yards per carry. He also has five touchdowns. He's the only running back on the team that has a rushing touchdown this year. Now, 64 carries for Zamir, 21 carries for Milton, 19 carries for McIntosh, 17 carries for Cook. Now, let's talk about Milton. 21 carries for 134 yards, 6.4 yards per carry. Milton is running the way that most people expected White to run. Now, White has had two ACL surgeries. I am not knocking Zamir White. I think he is good this year. I think another year removed from knee surgery, kind of like what we saw in 2016 out of Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb did not look like Nick Chubb in 2016. He was good. But he wasn't quite as good as what we had seen in 2015, his freshman season, after he hurt him, or his sophomore season, after he had hurt himself. But 2017, Nick Chubb looked a lot more like the Nick Chubb that we're used to. So I'm not saying white Zamir White off forever. I just don't think he's got quite the amount of explosiveness. And maybe just it's just trust in that knee right now. 
But Kendall Milton, to me, is number one. McIntosh got a little dinged up, apparently, uh, in early in the Alabama game. Kirby expects him to be able to play, but I, I can't imagine he's going to get the lion's share of the carries. I think it's going to mostly be Milton and Zamir. And I'm ready, instead of it being 3-1, to one, which is at this point in the season, Zamir's had three times the number of carries that Milton's had. I'm ready to see that be more like 50-50 moving forward, and then throw in some Macintosh, and then with Cook, do whatever we're going to do with Cook. But Kendall Milton uh, definitely needs to be a more central focus of this offense to see if that 6.4 yards per carry can continue to be the average. You know, he's been in some good situations. He's been in late in the game. He's been able to come in in a lot of third quarters and take advantage of a defense that maybe has already been kind of softened up a little bit from Zamir. We need to see what Milton can do in the first quarter and in the second quarter and to see if he can be as effective as he has been in short spurts over the long haul. And coming off the bye week, when everybody would have gotten a lot more reps uh, in practice, hopefully we'll see more of Kendall Milton. Hopefully Kenny McIntosh is healthy because I think those two guys can be difference makers. Uh, Whereas I think Zamir White is good, but I think this year he's going to be a little bit limited because of those knee injuries. My extra point today is going to be pretty much the only time we focus on the Kentucky game this week. And, I, and I'll just kind of tell you why. One, I don't hate Kentucky. Uh, I, much like we talked about Arkansas early in the season, it's hard to hate Kentucky. Um, Georgia hasn't lost to them in 10 years. That's a big piece. Um, and just the fact that they're not hateable. They're, they're, they're just not. There's no kind of uh, aspect of their football program that makes you just really dislike them. At least not me. So I want Georgia to win. But for me, I don't really honestly have a great feel for this game. I don't know if it's because um, the, we were off last week and the last you know taste in my mouth was Alabama and I need to see us play well. I don't know if it's because last year's Kentucky game was played in the monsoon and we ended up winning 21 to nothing and that was all well and good. But I have never been uh, as frustrated at halftime of a football game as I was that Kentucky game last year. Texting with a friend. Uh, we we were so vanilla on offense. The team was getting booed going into halftime. It was, to me at this point, it was the low of the Kirby Smart era because I was furious. The fans were furious. Um, there was nothing good about what happened during the Kentucky game last year. So I don't have a very strong feeling about how this game will go. Kentucky just lost to Missouri. Missouri's better than everybody thought they were going to be, but it's not like they're a great team. So Georgia's obviously far superior when it comes to talent. Georgia's questions as far as their defense and their offense or any kind of issues that we may have, um, they're not they're not the level of question and the level of issue that would think that you would really struggle in this game. I think Georgia's the 14-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the dog covered that. Now, there's a difference between winning this game by 17, maybe like a 31-14 game, or what I want to see. And, and, and let me just tell you what I want to see. I want to see a team that comes out and they're pissed off. They're pissed off about the way they played and performed in Alabama. They're pissed off that... While they sat at home last week, multiple teams got moved ahead of them, namely Ohio State and a quarterback that used to play for us. I want Georgia to come out and beat the holy hell out of Kentucky. That's what I want. I want us to come out on offense and be aggressive. I want us to put it on them. I want the defense to reestablish what we thought they were before the Alabama game, and I want to see this team absolutely destroy Kentucky. I want to see it like 52-14, something like that. I want it to be such a runaway that we get JT Daniels in in the second half. We get uh, Dewan Mathis in in the second half, whoever the backup is, and we let them play a little bit because if Stetson gets hurt, one of those guys has got to play. I want this to be a get-right game before we go to Jacksonville, and I want us to feel good about what we have before we get on that plane to head down to Florida to play the Gators. Whether or not we see that, I don't know. Um, so... We'll wait and see. It's a noon kickoff, 11 local. Um, Those are, if I was, you know, if I were giving you a prescription for an upset, it's games that kick off at 11 o'clock local time. Now, the team's been off for a week. Uh, The last thing that happened is they got run by Alabama. I cannot imagine the team coming out flat and not being ready for this game, but stranger things has happened. So we'll see how it goes. I am very hopeful 
that we see the best of Georgia, but I think this game is going to be a pivot point. Um, win or lose, the performance in this game, well, okay, I'm not going to say lose. Win, the performance matters as much as the win does because I don't think Kentucky can beat Georgia. But if this is a seven-point game, I, I think we got some big problems for the rest of the season because I think that makes you very nervous going and playing Florida, makes you very nervous playing Missouri, maybe even nervous playing South Carolina. Um, the back end of the schedule is very, very manageable if Georgia plays the way they did in the first half at, against Auburn, in the second half against Tennessee, in the second half against Arkansas, in the first half against Alabama. We need a full 60-minute performance. Offense, defense, and special teams, that's what we need this Saturday. We need to see this team play a full game, not excellent for a half and then what the hell was that for the second half or the first half or the other half. We need to see a full performance, and I am hopeful that that is what we will see come Saturday at noon. We're nearing the halfway point of the SEC season. Uh, Many teams, if they haven't had their, you know, Georgia was supposed to have their bye week this week, and they would have been halfway through the year. Um, But I feel like next week's show is going to all be about Florida. And and this week, since I don't hate Kentucky, it's hard to talk about enemies, so we're skipping that segment. So I want to go ahead and kind of just give us kind of an update and an analyzation of the SEC, where it is and where we kind of thought it would be. Obviously, the first thing you have to say about the SEC this year is that Bama is the real deal. That is what they've shown. They have shown that they are a legitimate, if not national title favorite, I mean, you're talking about 1A and 1B along with Clemson. What they did to Georgia was extremely impressive. The level that this offense is playing at is prolific. And at least from what I'm seeing, the defense is getting better. So what we saw against Ole Miss uh, seems much more like an aberration than what we're going to expect to see the rest of the year. But Alabama is the real deal. In the East, I don't think we have much of a surprise. I, I think most people would have expected it to come down to Jacksonville to determine who goes to the SEC title game. Now, maybe some people are surprised that Florida dropped that game at Texas A&M, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't change anything. If Florida beats Georgia and wins out, they're going to go to the SEC title game. The opposite, if Georgia beats Florida, then they'd have to lose two more times uh, to not go to the SEC title game. So um, Jacksonville, as it has the last couple of years, will be the defining moment in the SEC East. And until Dan Mullen's able to beat the dogs, um, Georgia has a big advantage in that. Now, is it worth really talking about what would happen in a potential rematch with Georgia and Alabama? I don't think so, because either we're going to see a repeat of what we already saw or Georgia's going to improve. But for Georgia to improve, you'd have to see that over the course of the season. So it, it's impossible now to look at it and say, well, I think Georgia had a pretty good shot there at Alabama if they got to play them again. Based on what? The last thing we saw is Georgia get the crap kicked out of them by Alabama. So there's no reason to think that it would be different a second time unless we see something different out of this Georgia team for the rest of the year, specifically on offense. Because as, as well as we can hope the defense can play, they're not holding Alabama to 20 points. So the offense is going to have to go out there and put 35, 40, 45 points up to win the game. And what we need to see out of the offense is the ability to do that. Um, kind of looking past the top of each, you know, I, the least of the East is, is is what I would say. You've got Vandy. They suck. Everybody thought they would suck, and they do. So in a year that has given us so much unexpected, I say kudos to Vandy for going ahead, meeting expectations, and sucking the way we all thought you would. Uh, Kentucky? My goodness, I could not have been more wrong on Kentucky uh, unless they pull up a huge pull off a huge upset this week. Kentucky is on their way to a losing season in a year that I thought they were going to upset Auburn in the first game of the year. Um, the The good thing for uh, Coach Stoops at Kentucky is that it's still Kentucky, and so you can go up there, you can win eight games in a normal season. They'll build you a statue and they'll be real happy about it because it's almost basketball season for Carolina and Tennessee. Those are two teams at a crossroads. Um, it's crazy. They're not in the same spot. I want to you know, kind of delineate that. Uh, I will be surprised if Will Muschamp is back at South Carolina next year. 
If he is, it may be a lot more about a lack of another option that they're comfortable with or um, maybe a financial reason given the fact that COVID has hit all of the, uh, not just the SEC teams, but just college football and athletics in general. They might not be able to pay a buyout or something like that. But for on-field reasons, I think South Carolina's got to be pretty ready to move away from Will Muschamp. Um, Their expectations are too high. I I don't think... Anybody that can, with unbiased eyes, look at South Carolina, um, their fan base was really pissed off that they didn't go into Death Valley and beat LSU last week, but how could they think they would? I mean, I I know it's all about circumstances, and I know LSU had not looked good, and they lost at Missouri and all of the different things. But, I mean, South Carolina's not going to beat LSU. And if you're South Carolina and you don't beat LSU and you want to run a coach out of town because of that – who are you hiring? You know, I, I don't think Will Muschamp's the right guy for that job because, but I also don't think the South Carolina fan base is the right guy for that program because they are convinced that their outlier years under uh, Steve Spurrier should be what they can expect. And when you share a border with Georgia, which is without a doubt one of the best programs in the country and one of the best recruiting programs in the country and you stare a state with the perennial number one team in the nation in Clemson, what do you expect? Just what do you expect, South Carolina fans? So I fully expect they'll run Will Muschamp off. Uh, If they don't do it this year, they'll do it next year. And whoever they hire will have all the hopes and dreams of South Carolina put on them. And at some point they're going to wake up and realize it was almost 10 years ago since South Carolina, it is 10 years ago now since they played in the SEC title game for the first time and got stomped. Uh, and that's just not what they're going to be able to expect. They're high, they, they are Kentucky in other colors. That's what South Carolina is. And the quicker they can accept that, the quicker they can enjoy their Saturdays more. At Tennessee, they've got a bigger problem, and that's that uh, they thought they were headed in one direction, and it's blatantly obvious now that they're not. When they started 2-0, and it was, we're going to Athens, and we're going to beat Georgia, and we're going to have a program-changing victory. Well, they played great for a half, and really they didn't, but Georgia played poorly for a half and allowed Tennessee to be in that game. Then they got stomped in the second half. Then they got beat like really, really badly beat by Kentucky in Knoxville, and then they got run uh, predictably by Alabama. And now they're sitting there at two and three with way more questions than answers, and I don't know what happens next. And this, the rest of this season to me is going to define the Jeremy Pruitt era because last year they, they go on that winning streak to finish out, win the first two games this year, and you think that they're in a different place. But the performance against Georgia, the complete egg they laid against Kentucky, and the way that they still cannot compete with Alabama is a huge problem. So even if Tennessee can manage to finish the season, you know, at this point they'd have to go, what is it, four and one to end up six and or uh, six and four on the season. Um, even if they can pull that off, which I think is possible, I don't know what you're feeling going into next year. Um, a lot of questions at Tennessee, not a lot of answers. When we look at the West, it's kind of like the rest of the West, right? So you got Alabama and then you got everybody else. A&M is really, really tickled with themselves. They really are. They lost to Alabama. Oh, sure. Okay. Lots of teams are going to lose to Alabama this year, but they beat Florida. And they're feeling pretty froggy over there in College Station because they think now they've moved up a little bit. Now, this is like being the tallest little person because I don't think A&M's success that they've had so far this year, and, I mean, they still have to play Auburn. They still have to play LSU. So it's not determined that they're the second-best team in the West right now. On paper, they are. But whether or not that comes to fruition, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but if they are the second-best team in the West, to me, I think that has a whole lot more to do with LSU being down and Auburn just not being able to get their stuff together than, than A&M has really stepped up. Because Kellen is inconsistent at best. Their program is talented, but 
I don't see when Mond is gone next year how you could really expect to compete with Alabama. And that's the thing about progression is that it should lead to something. I think that's where Georgia is now. You've gotten to a certain point, but now what? Because if, if you've ridden the escalator to like the 80th floor, but there's 100 floors, and you're not able to go to the last 20, what are you doing? And, and, and Texas A&M on a completely different level because they're definitely not at Georgia's level. But A&M, they have gone up this year, which is a good sign. I'm not quite sure that they're as high in that pecking order as they think they are. Um, LSU is the question, right? Because you lose the first game of the year against Mississippi State. Essentially, now looking back, we can just say that that loss goes directly on Bo Pelini's head because if he would have just played defense in a way that everybody else that's played Mississippi State played defense, then they wouldn't have lost the game. Period. He played. He had a terrible game plan that he stuck with the entire game, and they lost. Um, Mississippi State is not a good team. We'll get to them in a minute. But LSU sort of, kind of, in South Carolina, seemed like they might have figured some stuff out on defense. They slowed South Carolina down. Again, don't know how much of that is South Carolina and how much it's progression from LSU. But LSU's offense finally woke up and did something. So it will be interesting to see what happens with them moving forward. They play Auburn this week, and turning our attention to the Tigers, Auburn is without a doubt in the place. This is what I want, because I hate Auburn. If we haven't been clear enough, I absolutely hate Auburn. I should hate Alabama more than Auburn, but I don't. I hate Auburn because they are always hyped, and they very rarely live up to that hype. But when they do, boy, they act like they're always there. They're like... A kid in the class who, you know, like in gym class, who takes half-court shots all day long, and they hit one out of a 100. But when they hit that one, they strut around acting like nobody can touch them. Auburn is, without a doubt, the most overhyped program in the nation. Year in, year out, they always find a reason to think that Auburn's going to be something, whether it's Bo Nix or Gus or whoever the hell, they always think, Auburn is going to be something, and they just usually aren't. You want to talk about look at the average, look at who you are and not who you think you are every once in a while. That is Auburn in a nutshell. So the LSU-Auburn game this week to me is which one of these programs will prove to be an actual dumpster fire because both of those teams still have to play Alabama, and that you know, frankly, Auburn should have had two more losses. They, The refs screwed Arkansas out of a loss or out of a win against Auburn two weeks ago. The refs screwed Ole Miss out of a win against Auburn last week. Auburn should be 1-3 at this point. They really should. So Auburn has to find themselves in a situation where they better beat LSU because if they don't, it's going to be a situation where they lost to Georgia, they lost to LSU, they are going to lose to Alabama, and they should have lost to Arkansas and Ole Miss. So I don't know what that means for the rest of their schedule, but I can tell you what it means right now is Auburn's not a very good football team. I'm not sure what LSU is yet. I, I really don't know. I think they're the one team in the West that I could see going on a run. I don't think they can beat Alabama, but maybe they could be competitive, go 7-3, and three, and then by the end of the year you look at it and you go, ah, they're pretty close to what we thought they were going to be. Not what they were last year, but that was never even really on the table, right? So maybe they they figure out that they're a little bit closer to what we thought they could be. Arkansas is on the rise, guys. Arkansas is going to still upset somebody later this year. Don't know when it's coming. Don't know who it's going to be. Arkansas is going to get one of those teams. It may be this week against Texas A&M. It might be. I don't know. I'm not not saying it's going to be, but keep an eye out. It might be. And then at this point, Despite the fact that the refs screwed Ole Miss out of the game last week, I think we have to accept that at the end of this year, or quite not quite the end of this year, but the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we're going to get a rotten egg bowl because those two teams are just not very good. They have they're fun. They're fun to watch because of their coaches. They're fun to watch because you know Ole Miss is fun to watch because of their offense, but they're not very good. Combined, the two Mississippi schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, are two and seven. And I don't see it getting a whole lot better for either one of those teams. Mississippi State in general, uh, I have never, ever had any team that I felt better about after one week 
that I feel so stupid about after that thinking that they were good. Do you remember? It's been about a month now, a month ago now. But do you remember when we all wondered out loud and to people that we respect and me on this podcast wondering if the air raid was going to change the SEC? And since then, they hadn't won a game. So, no, the air raid is not going to change the SEC. Uh, And now that they are losing, there's more grumblings coming out about, about things at Mississippi State and star players aren't playing and all kinds of weirdness. It went bad quickly for the Pirate. That's my kind of analyzation of the SEC at the half. Um, like I said, really, I guess next week would have been a more appropriate time to do that, but we're not going to have time next week. Next week, it's going to be all about hating on the Gators, so we slipped that in. Let's go now and talk about the Big Ten, who I hate almost as much as the Gators. Boy, I hate the Big Ten. Maybe I should do the enemy's intro on this one. Um, so here's here's my thing. I watched Ohio State play Nebraska. Um, they got a couple advantageous calls, in my opinion, early in that game, but they blew out Nebraska. That Those calls, not like the, the Ole Miss-Auburn game, uh, the refs did not steal that game for Ohio State. Um, Ohio State is very, very good. Justin Fields is very, very good. Uh, there is no but to that. Ohio State is one of the elite teams in the nation. And, you know, as much as it kind of annoys me that they moved ahead of Georgia in the rankings, I think it's appropriate. I think Ohio State, based on that one performance in Nebraska, I would put them at number three in in my poll. And just, by the way, starting the week after the Florida game, once we've gotten the majority of the season in the SEC out of the way, uh, I will start re- giving my rankings each week, just 1 through 10, because who really cares who's number 22? Nobody. They don't. Um, but I think we got some big issues in the Big Ten. Let's start with the breaking news that came out just today that Wisconsin, uh, seen by many as the best team in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin is shutting down their program for a week because of COVID testing, um, positive tests that they've had. Their game against Nebraska has been canceled and will not be rescheduled because there's no room in the Big Ten schedule to reschedule games. So that's a big problem right off the cuff. And, I mean, we all understand what COVID is and and how it's going to work, and every league so far has had to at least delay games. I don't know that a lot of the leagues are in the situation that the Big Ten's in at this point where games had had to be canceled that will not be made up. But Wisconsin is definitely not going to get – they're nine games in, which is a problem because if they don't lose and then they upset Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, did, did they end up playing seven, six? I, I don't know. And, and, and then we run into that question that I brought up last week of how many games does a team have to win to be considered a viable candidate for the playoff? So it's a big issue for the Big Ten that Wisconsin is not playing at least one game. Um, and the way the Big Ten rules are, you know, if if you have a positive test the, from a player and it's confirmed with the, I can't, I think it's PCR is the test that they go off of. So you have the quick, kind of the daily testing and then the rapid test and then the PCR test can, to confirm. The player is out for 21 days. Now, the CDC says 10 to 14. The Big Ten, in all of their infinite wisdom, says 21. Now, what I had heard was that the quarterback that was playing and played so well against Illinois in uh, the first game of the season was one of the players that has tested positive. If that's true, even if Wisconsin comes back and plays not this weekend but next weekend and the weekend after that, their, their starting quarterback will not be there. So it's a big issue for the Big Ten that Wisconsin – is in the position that they're in. It's also a big issue for the Big Ten that Penn State lost to Indiana this past weekend. Now, if you did not see this game, um, I cannot pretend like I sat down for three and a half to four hours and watched this game. But what I did do is I turned it over there. It looked like Penn State was going to win it. I watched it for a few minutes. Indiana couldn't score. They had to give the ball back to Penn State, so I turned it. Then I see something pop up on the bottom line that the game had gone to overtime, so I turned it back and I watched the overtime. And 
in the first overtime, Penn State scores first. They get the ball first. They score first. They kick the extra point. Indiana gets the ball. They score, and they go for two to win the game. They were either going to win or lose the game on a single play, and never in the history of anything I have ever seen has a team won a game closer than Indiana won that game. The quarterback scrambled on the two-point conversion, dove for the end zone. The ball maybe crossed the plane of the goal line milliseconds before it touched down out of bounds, knocking over the pylon after the ball had hit the ground out of bounds. It bounced in in, for, in his hand, bounced into the pylon, knocking it over. It was called a conversion on the field, and there was not enough evidence to overturn. So Penn State lost what I can only imagine will be the closest game in the history of college football. I cannot imagine any game being closer between winning and losing as that game was. Um, but either way, Penn State's 0-1, which means their showdown with Ohio State is completely different this week because you don't have a top-10 matchup for Ohio State. You have Ohio State versus a team that lost to Indiana last week. So Ohio State beating Penn State, beating the brakes off them, that I, which is exactly what I think is going to happen, um, that's really not that impressive because now you're telling me Ohio State is great, which I believe, and to prove it, they just beat Penn State. Uh-huh. How you like that? Well, Penn State lost to Indiana last week, so how great is Penn State? And herein lies the problem for the Big Ten. Now, Michigan looked really good against Minnesota, but here's, here's what I want to say about Michigan. I just said in the previous segment that Auburn gets more hype, unjustifiably, than any program in the country. I'll stick with that. But number two is Michigan. Because everybody wants Michigan to be good. I want it. College football is more fun when Michigan's good, especially in the Big Ten. You want somebody to challenge Ohio State. So we believe in Michigan the way that kids believe in Santa Claus. You want to believe in it, so you do. Same with Notre Dame. You want Notre Dame to be good. Whether you like them, you don't want them to win championships. But college football is more fun when the Blue Bloods are good. Teams like USC and Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, those traditional powerhouse teams, Texas, Oklahoma, you want those teams to be good because it makes for more interesting games. After one week of the Big Ten season, everybody is very excited about the fact that Michigan has a quarterback and Michigan is back. Michigan is going to be able to challenge Ohio State. It's all good, except for this. After one week of this season, everybody thought Auburn was really good, too. What we have to remind ourselves is that the Big Ten is not on the same schedule as the rest of us. The Big Ten is in week two. We have not seen enough. Maybe Michigan is back, but let's slow our roll just a second because we also all thought that Mississippi State was about to transform SEC football forever. And then we found out that that was just not going to happen. So we all need to take a breath when it comes to Michigan and when it comes to everybody in the Big Ten other than Ohio State. I don't think anything is going to happen that's going to change my mind that Ohio State is good. But whether or not they are a good team in a putrid conference a la Clemson the last two years, we will find out very soon because I don't see a whole lot left there. Wisconsin's not playing this weekend. They're the they're ranked team, but they're not playing. And who knows when they'll play again. And when they do play again, who knows what players will actually be on the field for them because of the 21-day rule. Minnesota was ranked in the top 25, but they just lost at home to Michigan, so they've dropped out. Penn State was ranked in the top 10. They just lost to Indiana, so they're out. And Michigan was ranked at, I think, 18th. They moved up to 13th this week. But what is the Big Ten? We don't know yet. And I listen to a lot of college football podcasts, but one of them is uh, a show that the athletic writer uh, Nicole Auerbach puts out. And her argument that almost literally made me throw something was that, you know, when we we have to give the, we have to understand that the Big Ten is earlier in their season, which is what I just said, I agree with. But we, it's not fair to compare Ohio State at this point to Clemson and Alabama. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. They don't get that. They don't get to do that. They don't get to play less games and then poor mouth because they're starting later than everybody else and you can't compare. 
They're on the field. We can compare. That's it. Now, comparing records is not going to be something advantageous for the Big Ten. They're not going to want to do that because they're not playing as many games as everybody else. But what we have is what we have. Now, we don't have to draw conclusions, but we absolutely can compare. I will say, after one week, I've seen Ohio State play one game. I've seen Georgia play multiple games. I think Ohio State would beat Georgia. So why is that not fair? Now, I've seen Ohio State play one game, and I've seen Alabama play a few games. I think Alabama would beat Ohio State. Same with Clemson. So they're ranked third. I I don't understand the Big Ten apologists that want it both ways. We want to pretend like they started a month after after the SEC because they were just more conscientious than everybody else. We want to pretend like them playing less games shouldn't really matter because it's, it's not that many less. We want to pretend like the talent in the Big Ten is as good as the SEC, and it's not. And we want to give them the excuse that you can't compare Ohio State in Week 1 to Alabama in Week 5. Well, we don't have a choice. That's all we can compare for this year. So, if you can't tell, I got a little hot about that because I... I don't like the Big Ten. I don't like the ego that the Big Ten has. I don't like uh, the national writers' obsession with a mediocre conference. I don't like the fact that Clemson gets branded as the only good team in the ACC, but nobody's noticed that Ohio State's the only good team in the Big Ten for a long time. I just don't like it. I don't like the way the Big Ten gets covered. So... I'm not unbiased here. I don't like the Big Ten. I would love it if Penn State beat Ohio State. Not so much to, like, get Justin Fields or because I hate Ohio State. Just to screw over the Big Ten. I would love it. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Ohio State's really good. I think they're going to run the table. I think they're going to be in the playoff. And I think, just like last year, they're going to lose in the semifinal to as the number three team to whoever's number two between Clemson and Alabama. So we don't even have to play the season out now. I've already told you what's going to happen. Obviously. But when it comes to the Big Ten, there's big problems. Because if Ohio State slips up and loses a game, I don't know, I really don't know if there is a justifiable reason to put them in the playoff. You know, you got that whole eye test thing. But the Big Ten's decision to not play as many games, to wait so long, and we've seen what's happened with Wisconsin. There's nothing, nothing stopping the virus from hitting Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State in the same way. And this is the risk. And I understand that everything this year, everything with COVID, I'm not necessarily even blaming the Big Ten. It's just the reality of our situation was the Big Ten does not have a very big path here. They don't have a lot of leeway. They didn't leave themselves a lot of leeway with their decision-making timeline. They don't have a lot of wiggle room when it comes to being able to field enough teams and have enough games for their champion to be legitimate on the back end. Because at this point, I think Wisconsin's the best team in the West, but I think there is a very good chance that they only end up playing six games. So a 6-0 and Wisconsin team playing in the Big Ten title game is the worst, worst possible thing that could happen to the Big Ten because God help if they beat Ohio State. You're talking about burning it all down. That, that would pretty much do it right there. Let's move on to this week's viewing guide. So we'll start out, I don't see any games that I'm really in love with uh, on Thursday or Friday night, so we'll jump right into the noon games. Uh, Obviously, where my attention will be, and I would imagine most of the attention of the people that listen to this podcast, will be on the SEC Network at noon as number 5 Georgia returns to the field to play Kentucky. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Dogs are a 14.5 point favorite on the road uh, in Lexington. Uh, Go Dogs. I I hope we can win that game. Um, also at noon, keep an eye on BC at Clemson. Boston College is a little bit better this year. Now, Clemson's the, the, the number one team in the country, and they are the least hyped number one team in the country. I think for Clemson fans, they're okay with that. Just leave us alone. Clemson has a big game next weekend uh, against Notre Dame. You want to talk about, the, the if, for my money, looking ahead in the schedule, Georgia and Florida at 330 
Clemson and Notre Dame at 7.30, that is like, that's Nirvana right there. That's send the family away, let them go to Disney the World, do whatever you have to do, plug in, and just enjoy seven, eight hours of really good, competitive, important football. But this week, they're 31-point favorites uh, against Boston College. That's on ABC. If I had to pick that game, I'd actually take Boston College. Not any knock on Clemson, but I think it's a look-ahead game towards the Notre Dame game. I think Clemson would be able to just comfortably win this game by like three, four touchdowns, and nobody would bat an eye. Uh, And I think BC is a little bit better. Michigan, we just talked about them. They host Michigan State in a rivalry game. They are 25-point favorites at home against Michigan State. That is your big Fox game of the week. Um, I'm all over Michigan State in this one. So Michigan State lost last week to Rutgers. So Rutgers is obviously not the worst team in the Big Ten because they just beat Michigan State, but they have been really bad for a very long time. Greciano, their former coach, is now their coach again, Um, but they beat Michigan State last week. Michigan obviously coming off the big win against Minnesota on the road in front of uh, game day last week. This is a classic. They've bought Michigan, and they're too high. So I think Michigan wins this game, but I don't think they're 25 points better than Michigan State, not in a rivalry game. So three different games to kind of take your, your choosing from. Obviously, for Georgia fans, we're going to be focused on the Georgia and Kentucky game. But at least when the commercials come on, there's a little something to keep an eye on. At 3.30, I've got three different games. I'm going to start with uh, the game of, that has no ranked teams in it because, to me, there is no game this weekend more interesting than LSU and Auburn. That doesn't mean it's the best game, not even close, but it's so interesting because no matter who wins and no matter who loses, there's going to be – big ramifications. The idea that LSU could have three losses before they play Alabama uh, would be crazy to think that that could have happened before this season, but that's the situation they're in. And Auburn, after back-to-back weeks of stealing victories, Auburn is sitting there uh, at home against LSU as a three-point underdog. So Auburn's catching three at home. I think LSU wins this game. I don't think Auburn's very good. They should be. Uh, they should already have three losses, um, and I think they're going to end up losing this game to LSU. That game's on CBS at three thirty. Over on ABC, you have number four Notre Dame on the road at Tech. Uh, Notre Dame is the twenty point favorite. Who knows with Notre Dame? I thought Pitt was going to give Notre Dame a good game last week, uh, and Notre Dame blew out Pitt. Notre Dame scored like 12 points the week before uh, against, I can't remember who they played, but they played very, very poorly. Tech's not very good, so I would imagine that Notre Dame will win this game very easily, but Notre Dame has shown that they have the ability to underperform a little bit, so maybe that game will be a little closer than we think. And then the third game I was going to talk about was Wisconsin at Nebraska, but as I've said, that game has gotten canceled now. So number nine, Wisconsin, will not play in Nebraska, and that game will not be made up. At 4 o'clock, you have the Big 12, oh God, don't let this happen game of the week. We're going to have this every week moving forward now. Texas is on the road at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State won a big game against Iowa State last week and putting themselves in the catbird seat for the Big 12 as the only undefeated team left in the Big 12 right now. They are in a position to win out and potentially make the college football playoff. The problem is they still have to play Texas this weekend where they are three-and-a-half-point favorites. They still have to play Oklahoma State, and then they probably still have to play – well, not probably. Then they have to play a Big 12 title game against a team that, theoretically, they might have already beaten once already. So the Big 12 hates itself. We've established that set uh, in the past couple of years. Nothing changes. COVID comes, COVID goes. The Big, 10, the Big 12 teams still hate themselves. Um, but this is a situation week to week to week to week now. All eyes on the Big 12 are on Oklahoma State. They are the last hope for the conference when it comes to being in the playoff, in my opinion. There's three games worth keeping an eye on uh, at 7.30 on Saturday night. Unfortunately, only two of them are going to be accessible through your televisions. As I mentioned earlier, number three, Ohio State, on the road at Penn State, who's ranked 18th this week. This is the ABC premier game of the week. Um, Man, it was so much more attractive when it was number three at number eight. Uh, but alas, Penn State uh, missing Micah Parsons, missing a couple of different guys there. One of the running backs got hurt last week. They just don't have the 
the firepower of Penn State. So this is a 13-point um, favorite from Ohio State. I think they cover that. I think that's easy. Um, the other game on the SEC network, you got Arkansas on the road at Texas A&M. A&M is the 10.5-point favorite. If, if history has shown us anything, it's take Arkansas in the points because no matter what it's supposed to be, this game will probably be closer than anybody expects it to be. Um, I mentioned earlier – Arkansas is going to scare somebody. They're going to, they're going to, well, they've already scared some people. Arkansas is going to beat somebody, and it might just be Texas A&M this weekend. The game that I wish I could watch, but it's the SEC alternate channel this week, uh, is Missouri at Florida. The Gators, after not playing last week and not playing the week before because of COVID, uh, the Gators are 13 and a half point favorites over a Missouri team that all of a sudden looks like they might be able to play a little bit. So, um, Again, that game is on the SEC alternate channel, so if you can find it through your subscriber, go ahead. I will be able to watch it through ESPN+. Plus. Um, if I think if you have Charter, the alternate channel shows up anytime they put a game on there, but good luck trying to find the game. But uh, keep an eye on that game. That's all I'm going to say. Just keep an eye on that game. And I want to finish up today by saying that you live and you learn. Sometimes you have to know when to hold them. You have to know when to fold them. My pick of the year of the week has not been going well. So I am taking a week off because as I look at all of these lines, I've told you who I thought would win in a couple of these games, if I would lay the points or take the points or whatever. There's nothing that jumps out to me as a surefire lock this week. So I'm just going to skip it all together and we will move on with the rest of today's show which is that's it that's all it's a longer show today i really don't feel very very strongly about georgia and kentucky this weekend so i hope the dogs will come out it's always fun when georgia plays at noon come out get a win and then just enjoy the rest of your day it's on halloween um i hope you and your family have a fun and safe halloween no matter how you choose to uh to to celebrate or to Enjoy the day. Um, hopefully, we will be celebrating a Georgia win as we turn back the clock on Saturday night into Sunday as if 2020 needed another hour. We have to give it to them by falling back. And then we are knocking on the door of November. Uh, it's already November. That does not seem possible. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Take care of you and yours. And as always, go dogs.